Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Well, good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you? You know, not bad. Not bad at all. Getting a little more sleep. Got my coffee. We're off to a good start. Good. Well, this morning I thought we'd dig a little bit into uh, fervency. Your last minnow. I know you you have written about this recently, and I'd love to to hear more about kind of how you sort of discovered this. So I think we'll start with just simply uh, maybe maybe a look, brief overview of the meadows. We've talked about that in the past, but if you could just give a maybe a brief overview, and then uh, yeah, this this meadows of the '60s that you uh, I, I think are ascending from. Uh, would love to hear about it. Sure. Well, so do you want to start with just a quick review? Yeah, yeah, just in case uh, our single listener forgot from the last time he or she listened. I, I think we're up to three. <laughs> I, uh, reviews are reminds me when I used to um, coach your, a number of uh, pastors in their sermons. I said, don't do a review. First, it takes way too much time. They'd say, okay, let me review what we covered the last few weeks. And second, I said, you're rewarding the people who aren't there. And the for those, and third, you're saying, I know you didn't remember what I said. So so here we go at the Meadows with the assumption you weren't paying attention before, and why would you pay attention now? <laughs> well, it was um, part of what I wrote there is it was somewhere in my 40s, and I did start to just hear from uh, quite a number of mostly men who were, uh, let me clarify that with today's gender fluidity, they weren't mostly men. I heard mostly from men. <laughs> and uh, just seeing if anyone's paying attention out there. <laughs> and uh, so many of them, they really had their knickers in, in a knot, I called it. They were just, what is, what is it about? What am I here for? What am I? And I would ask them how old they were. And generally, it was 28 or 29. And it began to dawn on me in my 40s that the uh, middle of the 20s, I drew a picture of burning a candle at both ends. And said, uh, "Listen, you can't, you couldn't, you can't become a, a priest and a, a rabbi until you're age thirty. That's where Jesus starts his public ministry at thirty. And uh, the point is, don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, you're still a green sapling, and um, you may be able to make a lot of money and hit the ball of the park or wrote some, write some great rock music or something. But the fact of the matter is, if you really want to make a dent in the world." Um, just, you know, if you want to take hike the Himalayas and so on and so forth, that's the time to do it in your 20s. What happens is that meadow begins to exhaust itself late in the 20s. You've kind of, you're a moo cow, you eat all the good grass. And uh, that's why they had a nick, the knickers that are not. This is, so the next one up uh, is the meadow I drew the number one. I said, it's basically where you find this is the one thing I do particularly well. It could be done in hundreds of occupations, but 
you know, for example, for me, it really was, I was able to reframe issues in a single image. So it's helpful for people to reconsider things like, for example, why they had left the faith. So the 30s is for that one thing you do particularly well and for cultivating it. And then we get to the end of that meadow, roughly between the ages of 38 and 42, you have to decide if you're going to go up to the next, which I called legacy. And that's where if you are able to, you make the investment of your gifts in some sort of series of networks where you can carve out a legacy that's also, if God so grants you, uh, effect, uh, affects institutions. You really make institutional change. Then at the end of that, um, as you approach 50, you approach the middle of your 50s, which I drew waterfalls. And I said, you know, at age 50, a friend once told me, it's the first time you hear the rushing rapids of death, which is not a morbid thing. It's actually very freeing. And I determined he was, he was right at age 50. And so I put in the, uh, the uh, echo meadow of the 50s is uh, limits. It's the first time you notice that the sands of the hourglass, there's more on the bottom than there are on the top. And that you're probably not going to live forever setting aside chirogenics or whatever that thing is. And uh, so you begin to wrestle with your finitude. It's also a time you really can't reinvent yourself. It's very difficult to do. <clears throat> Most people just can't do it. And then the 60s, I was in this meadow, and I'm 68 now, and I was never really particularly clear what it was about. Hmm. And... Um, it is actually, it's the first meadow that I discovered what it was by discovering what it wasn't. So kind of a process of elimination in a way. But it was actually more stark than that. It was, I found out what is the polar opposite of. In hmm. the 60s, it's the polar opposite. If you're really going to continue to ascend, it's the polar opposite of sloth. So that's a quick review. We'll talk about that in Important points on this uh, whole idea of ascension is, uh, you know, you read it with the mystics, by the way. I just finished up the autobiography of Teresa Avila, and um, she talks about ascending. C.S. Lewis talked about it. Augustine talked about it. And so there is this sense that uh, salvation is something that's like an ascension to higher and higher levels, is how uh, Teresa put it. And uh, it's not just, well, I'm saved, do my work, try to be a good person, um, read my Bible, try to lead others to faith, and then go to heaven. It's actually the picture of, I have been saved, but I'm being saved, 1 Corinthians 2, what Paul said to the Corinthians who weren't, although, although they were saved, they were not being saved. Hence, they could actually end up arriving at the day of Christ's return, having everything burned up, purged. That's where many traditions hold. We got the initial idea of purgatory, purging so you're prepared. Because they weren't preparing, they weren't coming into the fullness of salvation. And we never come into the 
complete fullness of salvation in this life path. But the idea is that you ascend, and, uh, and that's part of being saved toward the fullness of salvation, sort of coming closer and closer to the light of day, if you want to put it that way. And uh, so it, it fits the picture of uh, the three stages of salvation, um, fits the three veils in the temple, it fits the uh, three stages of marriage in the Bible, which is betrothed, prepare, present, or consummation. And uh, perhaps most important is, you know, you can't go from the meadow of your 20s straight to the meadow of your 60s. Mm. And so my uh, grief in life, I think it's, it's a good word because you can grieve with hope. Is uh, beginning in my forties, the number of times, the number of times I would be like golfing with friends, and I'd hear him describe his faith, and I'd say, "Yeah, you learned that in high school. You learned that at college ministry. It's a fine thing to learn, mm. but you're still stuck in your meadow of your twenties. Mm. And it's primarily, but not exclusively." men and women who did particularly well in some way in their 20s, usually financially. And it just sort of, well, Jesus said it well. He said, can't serve God and mammon. And, you know, mammon has God-like powers. And it can have the power to give you a a false sense of shalom, of well-being, like this is the life. And I just, uh, anyway, it became more acute in the 50s, my 50s. And I came to see roughly 50% of the people I've known throughout my 68 years, uh, 50% never make the ascent out of the middle of the 20s. And then there's another drop-off in the middle of the 30s, another drop-off in the 40s. 50s, and I dare say now in my late 60s. And I think I have a fairly extensive network of friends, but I think I can count on maybe two hands those who have ascended all the way to the middle of the 60s. Chronologically, they might be 60. Right, right. You get the point. <laughs> that's a long review. See, that's. See, recently I told pastors not to do reviews in their sermons. <laughs> ah, so there you go. Yeah, no, that was good. Uh, I'm curious. You actually you mentioned uh, a few others that talk about not not meadows specifically, but mm -hmm. the sense. Uh, and did you find any overlap, like with Lewis or even Saint Teresa, in terms of very, I'm sure, rough or abstract overlaps with? some of the meadows, the thoughts you've put together with some of uh, the ascents that they refer to? Yeah, a lot of it. It's a good question. And uh, no, I hadn't thought about it until you just mentioned it, but having just come off the autobiography of Teresa Lavila, uh, it's not till her 40s that she begins to have um, these rapturous experiences. Um, so listeners, by the way, Google the ecstasy of Teresa, the statue in the Vatican, uh, done by Bernini, stunning. 
and it is uh, this experience of uh, tree selva of an angel appearing with a spear that with, a, with the tip of which is a golden flame. It's funny. She says, she's a funny writer. Right? She goes, an angel appeared, not a very big angel. <laughs> um, and uh, the spear is thrust and she uses this language penetrates me and thrusts back and forth in and out thrusting thrusting and uh, exhumes from her uh, it purifies be a way to put it but purifies for love that's in her 40s so yes i do think that in uh, Teresa, who literally entered a convent sort of just to try to get religious in her teens and turned out that was a terrible you know it didn't work out well for her initially so she sort of burned the candle on both ends in her teens and 20s apparently she was quite a strikingly beautiful woman and uh yeah but in her 40s she begins to have these extraordinary uh experiences um so yeah i do i do find that hmm. they wouldn't call them again meadows i you know part of i think subconsciously i took meadows from uh C.S. Lewis is the great divorce because the bus arrives at these higher elevations at these, uh, you see the mountains off in the distance and it's sort of a, it's a meadow because remember that the people that didn't really want to go, um, they can't walk on the grass. It's painful to blaze the grass. They're just, uh, this, was, this is what Lewis was saying, very similar to what Dallas Willard wrote that uh, God, in his considered opinion, will allow everyone into heaven who can stand it. Mm-hmm. So in the great divorce, some of these people have never ascended. They want to go back to the town, back in the valley. And so in like manner, but not exactly the same, um, there's a lot of Christians that they're happy as a lark with a faith that was formed in their 20s. There's, there's a lot of, if you want to put it this way, cash value in that, so to say. And you'll have a big, wide swath of friends who affirm that. And um, it's what McGilchrist writes about in The Master and His Emissary. You will recycle, as the left hemisphere loves to do, uh, settled notions just over and over and over, as he puts it, driving yourself deeper into the territory of the left hemisphere. We'd be very happy, but you won't be ascending. Yeah. So you're now uh, in this in this meadow. You find yourself here. Have Have you been actively looking to try to discern like what this meadow is about? Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm curious. Uh, well, I'm curious why. Like what 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 drives you to understand your meadow? <clears throat> oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's a good point. So it wasn't until my 40s that I sort of had uh, yeah. this image come to mind. So that's a good point. I wasn't looking for anything. You know, I guess I would say I was trying to help out these younger men. By the way, I did have a very wise professor in uh, in seminary, my first seminary I went to. And he said, listen, God grades on the curve. If your motivations are 51% good, Good enough. Hmm. And uh, so I think, you know, I can't say I had these incredible motivations to help people, but 
maybe I had 51%. <laughs> God said, good enough. <laughs> and uh, so in, in wanting to help, I have just always visually, and maybe this is sort of my, you, you know, not that common, but I can visually see what people are imagining when they hear certain things. I can just see it. And I, so I could see, you know, this isn't just with metals, but all sorts of situations. Like, I, believe it or not, years ago, I, um, many years ago now, uh, led a, uh, there's a friend of mine today, but uh, led him to Christ. And we were just having lunch, and, and he was talking about this and that. And uh, I said uh, to him, I said, you know what your, your, your biggest challenge is? He goes, what's that? I just happened to be carrying a Bible with me. I didn't normally do that, but I pulled it out of my briefcase. And I said, um, you're trying to get into heaven and bring your bed with you. You know, he was having all sorts of sexual fun. And, uh, and I pulled, showed my Bible and said, unfortunately, the gates are only this wide. <laughs> and, uh, you know, half my left hemisphere is going, what the what in heaven's name are you saying to this guy? <laughs> but he would say, he goes, How'd you know I was thinking that? Oh, I didn't. Hmm. But I can just, sometimes I can just, you know, that's why I groan sometimes the way I hear Christians talk. I go, you don't know how that comes off or what people imagine when you say that. Hmm. And uh, you wouldn't say that. So I, I could hear and see as the first time with these young men, you know, 28, 29 years old, for me to say, well, the Bible says you need to grow in your faith and get deeper with the Lord, and blah, blah, blah. I just, I just knew this is going nowhere. Lord, what is going on? Help me. And I took, without really knowing it even, or just beginning to study it, actually in my 40s, a contemplative approach, which is it's passive rather than active. It's not trying to figure out what is happening with these guys. Is asking the Lord to illuminate what is going on. And even again, if you read the mystic, for example, Teresa, you'll see that it's quite common. Mm. And so uh, it came out of a uh, maybe just a 51% motivation to help people and um, an illumination from the Lord. By the way, I also think you need to have, it's beneficial to have um, at least a base of knowledge, I would call it. And the base of knowledge would be at least some sort of working uh, knowledge of the Bible. And just, and, and, and having read widely in imaginative literature. So, you know, the neurosciences say buried in my subconscious, which was accessible, but I wasn't conscious of it, were pictures of meadows right. from the great divorce. So, yeah, and it's interesting to think. So, do you recall how old you were in this instance? Where you, it sounds like this, you can't can't take your bed through the through the gate. It's only this big. It sounds like that was part of your ability to see images, and and almost I'm guessing that was sort of the discovery as you started to discover this might be the one thing I'm really yeah. good at. Do you yeah. know how roughly how old were you then? Well, that I knew early on. I just didn't know exactly. Probably my, you know, and I actually take it back. It wasn't my 30s because I planted a church when I was 33. 
and um, and I continue to heard from people. You take complex things and put them in a in an mm. image which is accessible, not a simple image necessarily. Right. Accessible, big difference. Yeah, I think that is just a side note. That is one thing I found really helpful in talking to you about the meadows is especially when I was in my twenties, I think I was already, you know, chasing the legacy meadow, you know, like, Oh, mm-hmm. how do we make it a bigger impact? And, <laughs> you know, and, and even now, you know, I'm, I'm in my early, early thirties and I'm going, Oh man, do I really know what that one thing is yet? And, and I think I have hints, but I haven't quite discovered it yet. And, yeah. and it's, it's just, it's reassuring to know that that's okay. Like this is, bit of the meadow that I'm in. Uh, so that's helpful. It, it's almost making me more patient um, in general. That's a good, that's a good point, Pat. By the way, listeners, so see the pollen is clearing out of my brain here. So it's, <laughs> that was, that's, that's a really good point, Pat. It's because uh, I will say now at this, at my age, um, I do meet a lot of younger men and women who they, they might, they might want some of those, say, in the 50s and 60s, but I, but I have to tell them, again, you can't, can't, can't do jump. like that. You just can't jump. Yeah. I said, uh, you got to learn to be faithful in little things. Um, so that's a really good point. You know, I, I have met people in the past. I said, well, I, I guess you can play catch up, but you have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and by and large, most especially when you get to be in your 60s. The lifting is too heavy. It is fascinating, by the way, though I went through this uh, immersion course up at the, put together by two uh, professors at Harvard. Now you, you drop the name Harvard. Oh, <laughs> it's from God. No, they're at Harvard. Uh, but they're, you know, these are bright, bright men. One was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize based on their research and neuroimaging. But their point was, after the age of 22, the average person, most people, didn't never have a paradigm shift. They never have a profound shift in the frames or basic underlying assumptions regarding life. And after, and those that do, it's normally through an active plan under a mentor for roughly three years. Hmm. Now think about that. Paul, Saul rather, comes to faith, which is a paradigm shift. Right. He spends the next three years in the Arab desert, unlearning what he thought he knew. Hmm. It goes on, disciples, three years, sons of Judah, three years learning the language and literature of Babylon. I mean, the stories of three years, uh, at the time of Augustine, if you were want to enter the church, it was a three-year catechism course. Um, so my point is, everybody makes it to the meadows of the twenties. I think. Well, there are a few people that remain teenagers all their life, but they, you know, by and large, most do. But um, there is some diligence required. And uh, maybe it's like uh, playing basketball or playing anything physical. You know, there's more exertion with every decade, period. It's just simply is. 
Mm. I mean, I, I, I looked at LeBron James at 38 and I go, freak of nature. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in an awesome way, I say it with all great respect. It's like, holy smoke. Mm-hmm. Whoever that guy, I got Dylan, someone taunting him. I want to say that guy, are you out of your freaking mind? <laughs> you don't taunt, you don't spit in the wind. You don't, uh, you know, think of the old Jim Croce song. So it is, um, it's just, so it was the opposite. It wasn't until about a year ago and I began to realize the 60s is clarified by the contrast. Mm. And the contrast is sloth. And the contrast to sloth is fervency. And that is where Teresa Lavila was most illuminating because she writes later on in life, spiritual fervency is not passion. Um, yeah, what, what did she mean by that? Well, she, she, being a Carmelite nun, would have understood that primarily as suffering. And that's a paseo, the passion of Christ. So passion is suffering, intense suffering, which she wasn't opposed to. And she actually did go through it. She uh, was at one time paralyzed, so on and so forth. So she's familiar with that. But passion is, is uh, the passion of Christ, like for example, on the cross, is fueled by love, not atonement, by the way. Uh, Anselm was going to change the cross to atonement, uh, but it was, it's fueled by love. But because it's fueled by love, it's likened in scripture to consummation, or as one good Baptist once put it, he was right, it's orgasm. And, uh, well, that just can't be sustained, at least in my experience. <laughs> uh, fervency is sustainable. It, it, it is a is a moment by moment fervent, fervent to again contrast to the sloth to begin. To I seek to actively seek the good. That is, someone comes along and says, "You know, I think there's something we could do here, but it's going to take a little work to actually do some a little bit of good here in this town on X Y Z." Something in the '60s just goes, "Do I have the energy for that?" <laughs> And fervency says, mm, this was supposed to be more and more about the Lord's energy anyway. Food that you didn't know about when you were younger, you now have this spiritual food. That's again part of ascending. So you recognize what Jesus said when he goes, I have food to eat that you guys know nothing about. He doesn't say you'll never know anything about, just you, at this point, you don't know anything about. They're probably in their 20s. Yeah. It's interesting to think, uh, just in observing my own parents, they are in their 60s, uh, the grandparents now. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the fervency does seem fitting. It's interesting you say that because I 
they are amazing grandparents, but I know how exhausted I am. I cannot imagine doing some of the things they do in their sixties with my children. And, but you know, I think it's, I, I can contrast that with just other stories I've heard of other parents that just simply are not as involved. And that's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but um, it's just, they're just not as involved and the desire or energy is just simply not there. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting to contrast because I do see that state of exhaustion with my parents sometimes, but they are just so utterly filled with joy. You know, um, it's interesting. That's right. Cause, and there is some, um, there, there is some tiring aspects, obviously when you get to be a certain age, four words make the big difference here. Ibuprofen. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I, I, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's painful in a way for me to notice this, but the, you know, I, I often call my father as this towering oak. He just was, you know, not just the only strong physically, just character and depth, and you know, Phi Beta Kappa University of Michigan. We joked about before. I didn't get any of his DNA, but he was my father, and. Uh, <laughs> But you know, he had a, an, an early parachute from this big multinational firm that uh, he were 40 or 63 at that time. I uh, just come back from Geneva from a major conference and he was seriously adrift for two, three years and never found anything to be fervent about. Mm. And uh, I have a vivid memory of, and the mom folks were always gracious about come see us. Uh, we were in Maryland. and had a beautiful cottage up in Michigan on Higgins Lake. And we went up one time, and our three are playing outside. And we're, I'm doing my best to try to jump into Higgins Lake in summer in Michigan. And, you know, this is a lake 160 feet deep at some point. So it's like, yeah. Um, and uh, But I could look through the windows back into one of the rooms, and there's my dad on his 286 computer. Hmm. Just sitting there, and uh, he really either didn't know or well, he knew how to engage kids. He raised four boys, but he was just pooped out. And uh, at least for that, they had they had some interest and in square dancing. For younger listeners, Google it, <laughs> um, and they know. Uh, they, I, I do think that uh, becoming snowbirds was part of the lack of loss of fervency because my mom said, you know, we spent six months in Florida. First year we'd walk the beach. I said, boy, did you walk the beach a bunch? I mean, beautiful sunsets. She goes, no, not after the first year. We hardly, we hardly ever went back to the beach again. Hmm. So I'm finding myself, what do you do all day? <laughs> yeah, so we're not picking on him. He, he, uh, it just. It's, you know, when they say discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, that discipline involves spiritual disciplines, physical disciplines, mental disciplines. It's all that and more. Well, what do you, what do you feel like this ascent is where you, you mentioned 
you know, you kind of since you're at the time of ascent, I'm very curious mm-hmm. if you have any, I don't know, how, one, how do you tell when you're sort of just beginning an ascent to another meadow? And, and two, what do you think that's looking like for you so far? Yeah, the first question is uh, a little easier to answer. Um, there all there always ought to be. Uh, well, here's a way to put it: you change your uh, verbs that said end with ed to ing, so you so uh, you don't say oh yeah to cross. Yeah, I learned that years ago. Mm. You begin to go. I'm learning, and I wonder what I don't know. I've often told Kathy, my wife, I I sort of operate under this assumption of, uh, I don't know what I don't know, but I want to know. There's a big difference, by the way. I don't know what I don't know, but I want to know. I know I know I'll never know the fullness we know in part, Paul said. I find it fascinating. We know in part. It doesn't say you can't come toward the fullness of knowing. And I have for, I don't know why or what reasons. But I generally, not always, but generally, been willing to hear where I get it wrong or I don't I don't see something as widely as someone I'm talking to does just go and, and they might suggest you know there's another way to look at that and again in my experience but maybe I'm the exception that proves the rule by and large I found Christians as they get older are not open to unlearning. And I think I know why. I think it's because they feel they're they're exhibiting disbelief or disloyalty to God. And that's an honorable thing to want to honor God, be loyal to him and believe. But uh, I remember the book by uh, um, called Why Prophecy Fails. And there was a story of um, the uh, very zealous people for God that uh, back in the end times movements and the year Jesus was going to come, uh, this turned into seven, uh, this, I think it was, uh, yeah, Watchtower Society, Seventh day Adventism. And, uh, but the, but he used that to spring out and found that, that, that the more devoted some people are to their faith, the more they are resistant to any sort of possibility they might be wrong in some aspects of the faith. And uh, so it's the, the idea that passion narrows peripheral vision to look up uh, over the horizon and go, oh, there's actually a better way to think about this. And then to unlearn. And again, in reading uh, another trace, this one trace, who's a, who's a French nun, uh, and Teresa Avila both talked about as they ascended, and they did use that language, they learn to quote delight in unlearning. So my encouragement to people would be 
Yeah, think of it this way. To what degree do you think that today when you imagine God, eternity, to what do you th- Degree, do you think you get it all right? It's <laughs> a great. So, in other words, you come into eternity, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. knew it. I knew it. <laughs> this is exactly what I was thinking it was going to be. Um. Yeah. Now, now that we're, if you're, if you've listened this far of this podcast, hey, you three, wake up, listen. <laughs> um. Surely, when you pause long enough you go well I imagine it's going to be just infinite wonder just just wondrously beautiful well if it's wondrously beautiful then it'll mean that it's it's more than you ever imagined if it's more than ever imagined that means that here there's a lot you don't imagine so I can get there logically so to say like I just did right now Mm -hmm. But in the day-to-day, moment-to-moment reality, there's an awful lot of, I think, rightly so, it's pressure on us that um, we sort of have this thing figured out, or a lot of it. So we can just, the language just slips off our tongue real quickly, you know, Lord bless me here, and, you know, God has really, God really showed himself to be sovereign there. I always go, you mean he's not at other times? Um, or God really showed up, or where was he before? Was he over at Rite Aid? Or, uh, <laughs> this stuff just flip, just flows off our tongue without even thinking about it. And um, we, you know, it, it has a sort of inherent sort of subconscious bias toward um, we've got this thing figured out. And there is no faith tradition ever that has it all figured out. It doesn't matter if you're Judah, Israel, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, Evangelical. Yes, I happen to believe that some get closer to the fullness of salvation, but none of them ever gets it entirely right. And all of them have at certain periods done some work on, we've got to reform this thing and make it better. But but just as an individual, just that, you know, it's worth it to go. Am I ascending? Or am I, if I ask someone just to pay attention to the way I talk, and here's an even better way, the way I pray, what would they hear? So we'll close on this. Teresa of Avila makes a profound point, as do many other mystics, as do many other in sacramental traditions, that uh, one of the things that denotes ascending is when you pray, especially if you pray out loud. And so if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you're still praying, Lord, we thank you for this man, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You just gave away the game, you're an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm.